The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14 today. Um, We are continuing in our series. It's called Death to Division. And so what we're doing is taking 12 weeks to go through the book of Ephesians verse by verse. Last week, we talked about how sin separates us from God's presence. But through the grace and forgiveness provided to us through Jesus, we're not only able to be close to God again, but we can enjoy the peace and stability that comes from trusting in his sovereignty. This week, in the second half of chapter 3, we're going to encounter another prayer that the Apostle Paul writes out um, in this letter to the believers in Ephesus that he loves. And uh, I warned you, and kind of have continued to do this um, from the beginning of the series, that the book of Ephesians is called by some uh, the queen of the epistles because it is pretty lofty and and theologically dense. Uh, This week's passage... It's going to be no exception, but as we've discussed before, we are only ever able to understand the spiritual truth of God's word properly with the help of the Holy Spirit. So, studying Ephesians together has served as a good reminder to all of us that we should not approach God's word haphazardly, but humbly, knowing we need his help to understand and expecting to be changed by the truth that he reveals to us. Uh, Just so you know, this week also is going to mark the end of what some describe as the first section of the book of Ephesians. So this first section is going to be wrapped up here, and what Paul does for the majority of that is he lays out the theology, purpose, and destiny of the church. And so next week we're going to see a transition as we move into chapter 4 into more practical application of the truths that he's been unpacking in the first three chapters. So I'm excited to do that. And so that brings us to the verses. Uh, I told you we're in Ephesians 3, verse 14. We're going to read to the end of the chapter, okay? Here we go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him Be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise God for his word. So we're going to come back up to verse 14. We'll work through this a bit at a time. So verse 14, it says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, I'm not going to belabor this point this week. I covered it last week in regards to prayer. So if you missed that, the audio is available. But the posture here that he mentions is interesting. The common tradition of the day, the most likely way someone would have prayed would have been to pray standing with arms raised. 
Now, we need to keep in mind we have plenty of scriptures that show us there's no right or wrong physical posture for prayer, okay? We can kneel, we can sit, stand, walk when we pray. God has been gracious uh, in inviting us to come to him, uh, whatever the physical posture is, but the posture of our hearts is very important. You see, even if we are not in a place where we can bow our knees in prayer, our hearts should be bowed low in honor before the radiant majesty of our holy God. Praise God. Amen. We need our hearts bowed low. because He's the king of everything. Verse 15 says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now this verse may not seem like it at face value, but it gives us a lot to think about. Uh, we all have family names, right? Uh, my last name is Marquis, for example. I think it's French in its origin, but I don't think I'm French, just from a quick look in the mirror. So um, not sure how that family tree forked, but anyways. Uh, but it says here that every family on earth derives its name from the Father. Okay? So what do we have here? Does this mean that Moses had an extra tablet not mentioned on Mount Sinai that gave a list of last names and like all the families got to pick one? Is that what that means? I mean, you, you could see it that way. I, I don't think so. I don't think God came up with all the last names, because there's some last names out there that people would maybe have a right to be a little upset with God, right? I think my last name's cool, but there's some weird ones out there. So, you know, I don't think God just gave us a list of last names, made everyone pick, okay? And nobody here, I know all your last names, and they're all cool too, so don't worry about it. I'm not talking about you. Okay. I don't think that's what happened. I think what this is saying, the best way to understand it is, is probably that whatever our last name, there is a greater name that connects us all. And for us living in the church age, that would be the name of Jesus, okay? And so that kind of supersedes the, the family name or, or legacy. This also means that those who do not submit to the lordship of Christ or to God as a perfect father, they are in some ways like a child who refuses to take the last name of his father. And I think this would be heartbreaking for any dad. Um, I know... I, there's only a few things I could think of that would be harder for me than if either Max or Lucy came to me one day saying that they were going to change their last name because I had failed them as a father. That would be tough. And it may be warranted in some circumstances where earthly fathers have failed to fulfill their job of loving, protecting, and providing for their children. But this kind of dishonor, not willing to take the name of their father, it's never warranted when it comes to our heavenly father who has done all of those things I described that is the job of a father perfectly. He has loved us perfectly. He's provided for us perfectly, right? Amen. He's protected us perfectly. This also, this, this language in verse 15, it brings up the idea that those who turn from sin to trust in Jesus are the children of God, as it says in John 1.12. It says, but as many received him, that's talking about Jesus, to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It's a common misnomer for people to say, well, well all, all humans everywhere are children of God. Well, that's, that's not actually true, okay? Now, have we all been created by God? Absolutely. But there's something that happens relationally when we submit to God through Christ, when we trust him, right? Thankfully, God didn't say, hey, I need you to do a bunch of stuff. I need you to 
be good for at least 10 years and, and uh, not do this and do this, and, and, then, and then I'll consider you worthy to be my child. He sent Jesus to do all the work, and he's just asked us to believe what he has said and what Jesus has done, and that we can be his children by faith. That is a beautiful privilege, but there is a distinction. So what that means is those who have turned from sin to trust in Jesus, that makes us the family of God. And it's really important that we take this idea seriously because Jesus said in John 13 that the world would know we are his disciples by our love for one another, right? Uh, I know there's other ways sometimes we try to let people know. We've got bumper stickers and t-shirts and all kinds of other stuff, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. However, primarily in, in, in from, from God's viewpoint, in his heart, the vision he has is that the world is able to point out those who belong to Jesus by this one defining, shining characteristic, their love, their love for one another. However, I know some people do struggle to see the family of God bound together as tightly as biological family. That can be tough because this is not necessarily something that people talk about a lot. Uh, and I think sometimes people are nervous to talk about it because it, 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 it makes some people agitated. But I think we need to deal with this and tell the truth about it the way the scriptures talk about it. So I have an experience. I know some people feel that way, um, and I'm going I'm to tell you why. <clears throat> I had a pastor call me uh, in his office one time, and the situation was that we had some parts of our biological, we had biological family members that believed God was calling them to connect to a different local church. And so they were making that transition, in my view, in the most loving and honorable way possible. However, this pastor wasn't very happy, and so he called me in to ask me if the fact that we had biological family making this move, if that meant that Natalie and I would also be leaving. And I said, no, because I believe what church you are a part of is a very important part of obeying Jesus and that that decision should be led by him. Uh, I had, up to that point, not had any leading from the Lord that it was time for us, Natalie and I, to be on mission with a different local church. And that would be, getting that direction from the Lord would be the only reason I would ever make that change. And so I explained that to him. But I also wanted to know, and so I asked why he would have thought it was a possibility that because we had biological family being called by God to do something else, that that meant we automatically were going to do that as well. And, and I've never forgot his answer because it shocked me. His answer was, well, because blood is thicker than water. And I took a second to gauge my words because even though I was really disappointed with that response, this was, this was my pastor and I didn't want to be disrespectful. Um, so I started with like the old Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights, right? I said, with all due respect, right? Because that fixes it. If you just say with all due respect, then you can just say whatever you need to say. I wasn't really thinking about that. I, I did say with all due respect. But my answer was, <laughs> with all due respect, the eternal blood of Christ is much thicker than the temporary blood of biology. That, that was my answer, uh, and I, I would stick by that answer today. Here's the deal. Some, some of you are, are maybe a little weirded out by the way I'm talking. I, I want you to understand I love my family very much, very much. But the fact that we share DNA does not tie me to them for eternity. You understand that? But for every person who is a son or daughter of God, because they've been washed clean of their sin by the blood of Christ, 
I am tied to them for eternity. And I think it would do us well to think in terms of eternity more often sometimes than we do. I, I, know, I know that some of you have very difficult family circumstances, and so this is kind of an easy pill for you to swallow, for you to see the, the church and the family of God as closer-knit uh, and or perhaps um, even, even tighter than biological family. That's, that's not a leap for you. But for some of you who have maybe great connections to your biological family, for which I rejoice, it, it can be hard for you to see yourself loving the family of God at the same depth or with the same devotion that you would your biological family. I just want to say I think we need to submit our thoughts, feelings, and actions regarding this to the Lord. Because the truth is there are many who <clears throat> are not willing to love and serve the family of God with the same tenacity they do their biological family. And because that's the case, we are missing a great opportunity to show the world the reality of how powerful the gospel really is to change people and to change the way people relate to one another. I'm referencing back to John 13 where Jesus said, the world will know. You're my disciples by your love one for another. Let's, so what, maybe you're like, yeah, I don't know. So I'm going to try to give you an example. Let's, <clears throat> let's think about grandparents for a minute, okay? I know, <clears throat> I know some grandparents who would not get down on their hands and knees to grab a $100 bill they saw lying under some bushes, right? I know some grandparents, they may even like start and get halfway down, but it'd be like, oh, not, not worth it, right? <laughs> They're coming back up. Then we'll leave that $100 right there, okay? <laughs> the back hurts, and they're well off enough, the $100 can stay. But some of those same grandparents that I know, they will drop down on the floor in a nanosecond to play with their grandkids. Right? Right. Now, I'm not knocking that at all. I think it's great, and I'm gonna I had a conversation with somebody the other day. This is, this is the truth. I'm actually kind of excited to be a grandpa myself because I think I'm going to be a really fun, cool grandpa. So I'm, I know that's like... Come on, man. <laughs> That's too far out, but <clears throat> my grandkids are going to have fun, okay? So <laughs> if God permits me to have them and, and the Lord tarries and I have grandkids, it's going to be a riot. So uh, here, here's what I'm pointing out, though. I'm just saying that the level, the level that you see in, in the love of good grandparents, where they're, basically their attitude is, I, I will literally do anything for this child, right? That kind of love and devotion you see from many grandparents is the kind of love and devotion I believe God desires for all of us to have for one another as the eternal family of God who bear his name. It's that I will literally do anything language that's important, not the dropping down on the floor, right? <laughs> just, just so you're not confused. Okay, amen. That's verse 15. That brings us to verses 16 through 19. This is the prayer that I referenced. This is the prayer that Paul wrote down saying, you... Uh, the Ephesians, these folks, this plant, church that he planted, he was there for uh, three years, loving them, getting to know them. This is the prayer of a pastor who loves this flock. This is his desire for them, okay? So let's read that again. That he, that's God, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that 
Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What a prayer. Okay. So the first thing we see is that Paul wants the church to be strengthened with the power of God in the inner man. Okay? Many of us focus on strengthening our bodies through diet and exercise, and there are good and godly reasons that we should. However, many times the inner man ends up being neglected almost completely. God wants his children to be strengthened with power through his spirit, not weak and spiritually malnourished. And why is that? Well, first and foremost, it's because he loves us. But it's also because he saved us to send us. We cannot make war against the forces of darkness, nor have the strength and energy needed to work with God in the mission of setting captives free by the truth of the gospel if we are weak and flaccid spiritually. What a good diet and exercise does for the outer man, consuming God's word, prayer, and worship through singing do for the inner man. And this is true both privately and in community and it helps in different ways. Those things are true that I just mentioned, and, and they're worth mentioning when this inner man language is brought up in correlation to strength and power, right? For us to be thinking about the fact that there is, there is a, a degree and a level. Paul prays that, that they are strengthened, which means he's praying for an increase in the power of God, present and active and working through the children of God, right? So it it's, makes sense for us to mention these things in light of all of that. However, spiritual disciplines are not really the major focus here. And that's kind of what I, what I was getting at. The basic spiritual disciplines, those are the things that oftentimes we're tempted to neglect, oftentimes lead to us being weak in the inner man. But that's not even necessarily the lens that, that we're focusing on here or what it is Paul's totally talking about. The next thing Paul says is, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So this, this strengthening with power that the verse is talking about before, it's going to lead to experiencing in a more vibrant manner and perceiving with greater clarity the truth that Christ does not dwell any longer in a temple or a tabernacle, but he dwells in his people. A truth that we are grateful for. But then this prayer that Paul is writing, that he's saying he prays over this congregation, the prayer is that God's people be strengthened with power from God, but then it seems to take what, what would look like a detour, a little bit, if that's the subject matter. He begins it and ends it with that, right? It seems like in the middle we've got a little bit of a, a left turn that's hard to account for. What, so he starts talking about what? So that... You, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend the width, length, height, and depth, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So it seems this prayer for power and the fullness of God to be a reality in Christians, it hangs on us being rooted and grounded in an understanding of one thing. 
Is there anybody here that's bold enough to yell out? I know it's real risky because you might be wrong. Anybody here bold enough to yell out what they think that one thing is, that all of this power language that he's talking about, this prayer Paul has for Christians to be filled up to the fullness of God, that they would be strengthened in power. The whole middle of this prayer, it seems that 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 desire hangs upon us understanding and being rooted in one thing. What is that one thing? It's love. It's the love of Christ. Now, some of you have been around. And so some of you might be tempted right now to go, okay, here, here we go. Pastor Vince, climbing up on his hobby horse, here we have another sermon about the importance of love. Friends, hear me. I am committed to never trying to make the scriptures say something they don't. God's word is perfect and authoritative and has the power to transform us. I am just presenting to you what these verses are actually saying. We're just going verse by verse through Ephesians, and here we are. I can't help it. I'm not mad about it, for sure. But this is why we're talking about what we're talking about, okay? Now, somehow, in Paul's mind, the power he desires to see God's people walk in his desire to see them filled up to all the fullness of God is tied to and predicated upon their ability to know and understand the love of Christ. Now, I don't think that's normally an equation we would have laid out. If we would be thinking about an increase in strength and power in our inner man from God through his spirit, I'm not sure we typically think, okay, well, love's going to be a big, big factor there. So I'm really glad that Paul laid this out for us. We're going to figure out how that works, okay? I just want to say that I yearn for the same thing Paul does here because I can glimpse in my mind's eye a church full of people who are strengthened with power from God and filled up to all the fullness of God. I know that's probably the 10th time I've said that. Get ready because there's going to be at least 10 more. Did you hear that phrase? Filled up to all the fullness of God. As I imagine a church strengthened by his spirit with power and filled up with all the fullness of God, as I imagine that, I, I, could, I could weep with joy. I yearn with Paul for this. I join him in this prayer. I mean, what would it, what would it look like for us to walk in the reality of this prayer? Can, can you imagine it, friends? If you can't imagine it, then I would encourage you to ask God to give you spiritual eyes to see because we need to be able to stretch and to see, to reach out for this in faith. If you can, if you're sitting right here and you're doing it with me and you're letting your mind's eye wander to what it looks like for, for a church to be operating in the fullness of God with this power that, that Paul's praying for, this strength that comes from the Spirit of God, if we're operating in that and you can catch a glimpse of it, my question to you would be, do you want it? Are you, are you imagining it? And is, it, is desire being peaked in you for that? Are you, are you also maybe at the very same time beginning to count the cost? <laughs> because though some things would be added to us, there, there indeed would be some things that would be taken away. Would, be, would we be the people to say, come God and do that here? If no one else is willing to pay the price, come and do it here. Here we are, Lord. Send us. That's what, that's what happened to Isaiah, man. When Isaiah was in the temple and God's presence showed up, he had one thing to say. I'm done. Here I am. Send me. 
Whatever you want me to do, whatever that looks like, I'll pay the price. When I imagine a church being continually strengthened with the power of God and filled up with all the fullness of God, it it is too amazing to fully describe. But I'm going to lay out a few things um, in hopes that we are spurred on to hope and faith and that we would join Paul in this prayer. The first thing I would, I would say is that we would be walking in freedom from sin. We would be walking in freedom from sin. And I would say to you that love does this. You see, I can, I can see a clear connection here. I hope you can too. If you can't, you're about to. A clear connection between why, why all this power language in Paul's prayer is tied to us understanding the love of God and understanding the dimensions of the love of God and, and seeing how Christ has loved us, and, and then responding to that. Because here's the, here's the deal. If we love God and we love people, sin begins to lose its appeal. Martin Luther taught that if we violate the first commandment, that's how we end up violating all the rest, right? Remember the first? He's talking about the Ten Commandments, so it's, it's to have no other God before you. And he had this very interesting uh, insight, that's the word I was looking for, he had this very interesting insight that, well, if you don't violate the first commandment of having no other God before you, that actually our our issue with all the rest of the sins are are idolatry issues, and so if God is our God and our affection is for him and we're satisfied in him, then uh, the temptation for these other sins goes away. And I think that's a great observation on Martin Luther's part, but I would, I would also, I'd want to extend that further and say, we, we, can, we could think about that for a lot, and for a long time, and, and, and really learn a lot, but I think Jesus came and made it even simpler, because Jesus took that command of having no other God before you, and, and all of the rest, and he condensed it down, because someone stood up one day and said, hey, teacher, what's the most important commandment? What, what should we focus on as Christians, right, and, and if we're going to follow you? And he said, Okay, well, here it is. You're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're going to love your neighbors yourself. And he said something very interesting. He said, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And so we see that all along, all along, those, those ten commandments could have been summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. But here's the thing. The reason why God couldn't way back then when he was giving out all the rest of those laws and then the 613 that, that Israel was governed by, the reason why the ten commandments were ten and it wasn't that simple is nobody, nobody could have hoped to understand what all was contained in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself without Jesus coming. Jesus God couldn't just lay that out there and think everyone would get it. We needed Jesus to come. We had to see Jesus come and live the way he lived. We had to see Jesus come and die the way he died for us to even be able to start to get a glimpse of what it means that God loves us and he calls us to love him and then to love one another in return. Jesus is the key to understanding love. That's that's why the whole thing is a progression. That's why the whole story connects. God, the the flower unfurled in, in exactly the amount of time that it needed to for uh, us to be able to obey and understand and find hope in Christ. Let me read this to you. This is 1 John 2. It says, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. What's he talking about? He's talking about the law, the old commandments. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength was included in that as well, of course. 
On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That true light is Jesus. The one who says he's in the light yet hates his brothers in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no darkness in him. There's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So what's the point? What am I saying here? A church filled with all the fullness of God, we are going to walk in freedom from sin. We're not going to be slaves to sin. So, but we're talking about if, if we had all the fullness of God, we had this power, this strengthening by the power through the Spirit that Paul begins this prayer with. But, but again, we got to account for why the whole middle of the prayer, why you've got this power language at the top and power language at the bottom, right? What's, you know... There's a sandwich here. The meat in the middle, is it's all about love, man. Look at this guy. He's thinking in terms of sandwiches. So what? Sandwiches are good, okay? We would, be, we would walk in freedom from sin, and, and part of why it is is because we would be motivated by love when we thought about sin. Man, listen, if we, <clears throat> first of all, love for, love for God. The more, the more love for God is cultivated in our hearts and minds, the more we adore him, the more allegiance we have for him, the more loyal we are to him, the more grateful we are for all that he has done for us, how incredibly gracious he's been to us, the more we think about how he loves us and that stirs in us greater love for him, just flat out right there, point blank, period, sin's going to have less appeal. The more we drink of the sweet water that comes from the fountain of God, the less that the bitter water of sin and what the world offers is going to even be tempting, right? You know, you got a bottle of Fiji water in one hand and some sewer water in a bucket in your other hand. Which one are you drinking? Right? You guys are like, we're good stewards of our money. We don't drink Fiji water. <laughs> That's good to hear, actually. I'm actually really proud of you. That's good to hear. I don't drink Fiji water either. All you Fiji water drinkers, it's okay. Nobody's going to ask. Nobody's ever going to know. You just enjoy yourself, Okay. You can, you can budget elsewhere if that's a thing for you, all right? Oh, Lord. Okay. You guys understand what I'm saying, though? Probably nobody does now because I cracked that joke, but here's the deal. Love for God is going to make sin less appealing, and love, love for people is going to do the same thing because when we realize that God did save us to send us, we understand that this is not just about us avoiding the pain that sin causes in our own life. Can I get anybody in here that will give me a witness that when you choose to sin instead of obey God, it always invariably leads to pain in your life? Is there anybody else in here that's figured that out yet? You'd raise your hand and say, yep, that's true. Okay, good. So yes, that's true. However, it's not just about us. You see, when love begins to overtake you, it, you don't just think in terms of how things affect you anymore. You start to think about the fact that if I choose this sin, not only am I going to bring harm and destruction in my own life, but I'm also going to nullify my ability to be effective on mission and to be able to be getting in somebody else's way and trying to stop them and trip them up as they're running on a path straight towards hell. Love is the most powerful force to help us defeat sin. The more we are overtaken by the love of God, the less sin will have a grip on us. Praise be unto God. The second, so I said we'd walk in freedom of sin. We would be bold in evangelism. Love does this. I basically just laid that out, but let's just say it again. If our love for people increases, we are not going to 
operate in the timidity that oftentimes we do. And listen, I know there's different personality types, and God will use different personality types in different ways in different situations to get his word, the beautiful hope of his gospel, to different people. However, nobody is excluded who has been saved by grace through faith in Christ from the call to share the fact that there is hope in Christ. Every single, I don't care if you're the shyest or you're the boldest, wherever you're at in that spectrum, we are called to the, the, the beautiful privilege of evangelism. And there's a lot of research out right now, some of you have probably read it, that uh, folks in, in the millennial bracket, and, and I think, I forget how old I am, half the time I have to ask Natalie, but I think I'm in like the upper end of that bracket, but apparently when millennials are polled, there are a pitifully high percentage that, think, that literally think evangelism is wrong. That to try to tell somebody there's hope in Christ and there's not hope any other way. To try to tell somebody that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That no one's coming to the Father except through me. That God sent Christ to save us and to handle the sin problem. That to try to share that good news with somebody uh, because it may offend them or because uh, they may have a different perspective. That, that, that that's actually a wrong thing to do. Well, um, I... I honestly, I, I'm try, I, get, I try to get it. I try to put myself in the shoes of somebody that's thinking that way so that I can, I can be gracious in my response, but it's really hard to understand. If you really believe heaven's real and hell's real and God's real and Satan's real, I don't understand how you come to any conclusion other than I should tell as many people as possible there's hope in Christ if I love them. How is that not the most loving thing you could possibly do? How is it not cowardly and unloving to be unwilling to share the fact that there's hope in Christ with somebody that doesn't know that? There's probably a more nuanced, gentle way to say that, but, you know, I'm ripping and running through this content, so what's up? I mean, don't, sometimes, you know, here's the thing, like, I, I do, I try really hard, and there's, there's some older Bible teachers I listen to who I think are masters at threading the needle and really being careful about the way they circumspectly walk around the subject to make sure you're not alienating somebody, and, and I don't want to alienate anybody, and I don't want... I don't, want to, uh, I don't want it to seem like I, I am unable to understand where somebody's coming from. But listen, sometimes, sometimes you just got to flat out say it, right? Because sometimes that circumspect walk and being so gentle, I, I've done it. Like I'll, sometimes I'll walk around the thing, get to the end, and be like, I'm, whew, I did it. Like we, we looped all the loops and we dotted all the I's across all the T's. Was, and, and, then, and then the answer is like clearly I, I walked so gently that they, I did all that and they, just, they don't even know what I was saying, Right? We just, we just had a nice conversation. Well, listen, man, <laughs> the scriptures say we got to make the most of our time because the days are evil. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting grouchy. Maybe I'm getting old. I don't know. But I'm not saying I want to be uncaring or uncareful in the way we talk about biblical truth. I think we need to be, and I'm going to keep trying to be, and the Holy Ghost is going to help me do it. But sometimes, man, I'm just going to flat out say it, just how it is, because it needs to be. Sometimes you need one of these, right? Say Amen. Good. All right. We'll be bold in evangelism. What am I doing? I'm talking about when I let my mind's eyes stretch to thinking about a church that fulfills this description, filled up to all the fullness of God, strengthened with the power of God through his spirit. This, this is what I'm talking about. I'm painting a picture here. The last is that we would experience the pure joy of serving one another sacrificially. Love does this, right? 
it's, it's very difficult to manage our own prideful inclinations. We tend to be presumptive creatures. We tend to be able to see all of the faults in others and not be very good at seeing our own. Um, we tend to be very self-focused much of the time. But love just grinds all of those tendencies into dust. And it allows us to live in, in, in the fashion of our master, right? Because there was, there was that situation in the upper room and you had the disciples sitting there and, and some of them were just doing it in their hearts, but Jesus knew that. But some of them were like letting it out of their mouth where they're, they're like arguing with each other about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus is so good at just putting the smack down without anybody knowing that's what he's doing. He stands up. He derobes, he wraps a towel around his waist, gets down and starts washing people's feet. And then he says, this is how I want you to live towards one another. See, the highest went the lowest. And we're in between, and so we've got no excuse. Romans says we've got to outdo one another in showing honor. The way of the master is the way of service. He said, the king of glory... The Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth, the one that the book of John says that he was in the beginning with God, he is God, right? He, in the book of Philippians, says he took on the form of a bondservant. When the highest goes the lowest and says, I want you to follow me, you, there, there's, there's no room for you to run because you're not as high as him. And actually, you're never going to be able to go as low as he did. We're in the middle. And love is the, is the primary thing that's going to motivate us to that. A love for God, us seeing the way Christ has loved us and served us. That's how we're going to get there. Now, why does it seem like Paul prays in such a way that being rooted in love and understanding the dimensions of love, right? He says width, length, height, depth. And knowing, and knowing the love of Christ are required for us to walk in the power and fullness of God. Why does it seem like he prays as if being keyed in on all this stuff about love is required for us to walk in the power and fullness of God? Well, it's because of this truth. Every door in the Christian life swings on the hinges of love. It's the whole thing. So what, what does he mean when he says rooted and grounded in love? What, is, what, is, what does that actually mean? By way of example, I thought of this. Um, I have... I have some friends that are they're pretty cool friends, and they have uh, fast cars. And they know I like fast cars, but they know that my wife is very good at helping me steward the Lord's money that he's trusted us with, and so I don't have a fast car, okay? It's not her fault. It's my choice. But anyways, um, I had a friend of mine that threw me the keys to his Corvette Z06, like the first week he had it. Uh, I told you he's a good friend. And when he threw me the keys, he knew what he was doing, and he knew what I was about to do. There was no question what was going to happen. I was going to get into this vehicle, and I was going to thrash it. And uh, so that's what I did. I thrashed it. And um, I remember that. Obviously, it was a very vivid experience. Had a good time. Had it sideways a couple times, and that was very fun for me. You might be thinking, that doesn't sound like fun. That sounds insane. Well, people are different, Okay. <laughs> You know, whatever, you do your thing. Um, so, but I, I was thinking about, so the, the reason why that car is so fun to drive is because of, of 
primarily its engine, which is very powerful. And it's very loud. And those are fun things. So, but I'm talking about being rooted in love. So, but if you take that engine and take it out of that car and just sit it on an engine stand, turn it on and rev it, and it's really loud, and it's, it's still turning the crank, and it's still creating all that horsepower, but the engine is not connected to a drivetrain that connects it to the rest of the car so that there's wheels touching the ground and it can actually do something, the engine is basically just loud. It's not going to accomplish anything, and that actually sounds very familiar if I think about uh, something else Paul said about love in 1 Corinthians 13, because in verse 1 he said, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love... I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so my point is being, being rooted in love, it, it reminds us that love is the purpose for the power, right? Because Paul's talking about an increase, a strengthening of power through the Spirit. He's talking about us being filled up with all the fullness of God. But if we don't have love, then all that power will be useless. In the same way that if that motor doesn't have that car, all that power is useless. God wants us to have the power, but we also have to be able to steer it and do something with it that he intends. And love is the guide rails. Love is the vehicle that's going to allow us to do something with his power that's worthwhile, that's going to honor him. Amen. The dimensions of love, right? So he talks about love of God being wide and long and high and deep. Why is that important? Well, this, this helps us to, you know, some of you, some of you that I said earlier, you might be like, oh man, another sermon on love. Here we go. You might think like, oh, I have, I have heard it all. I've heard this guy beat this horse. But here's what I'm saying to you. Like, we are, we are, just, we are just silly little fools if we think we've come even close to exhausting all that we could come to understand about God's love. God's love is deeper than we could ever imagine. And that's, that's why Paul starts to lay it out in these dimensions, right? He talks about the, the love of God being wide, man. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, right? So that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love is so big, man. It'll go from ocean to ocean across the whole thing. His love is wide. It says his love is long, right? God's love for us is eternal. I know some of you have had relationships where you felt like, and you thought that love that, that was being experienced could, could never end, and then it did, and that caused some serious trust issues for you. But can I just please say to you, God is not a man that he should lie. And whoever hurt you and whoever broke you, God is not them. And he cannot fail and will not fail, and his love is long. It's eternal. <laughs> his love is high. God's love is, is so, so powerful that it's... We, we, re, we read earlier in Ephesians that it's, it's raised us up to heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's incredible to think about that God's love has taken us, we who should have just been dead in our sin and left there, and raised us up into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God's love is deep. God's love, it never leaves us even in our deepest despair. You can crawl into the darkest hole of despair you can possibly find, and God's love will be there with you. And he'll be constantly beckoning you out. Come, child. 
His love is wide, it's long, it's high, it's deep. And we got to know that. And we got to understand we can keep flipping that jewel and thinking about it for the rest of eternity. And that's part of what we're going to be doing, man. Part of the worship service in heaven for eternity is going to be fueled by us being wowed over and over again by how incredibly high and deep and wide and long God's love is. So let's be enamored now. Let's not be fools and think we're bored and we've, we've got this figured out. You'll, you will never be wasting time focusing your attention, your thoughts upon the love of God. The third thing he says is, is that knowing the, it's, we need to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. It's the last thing he says about uh, in between this sandwich about us increasing the power we walk in as God's people. The love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8 says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Friends, we need to understand that for every single thing we learn or know, even if these are things about God, we're going to be tempted to be more prideful. That is an automatic relational inclination of every person. The smarter I get, the more tempted I'm going to be to think that I'm great. Knowledge puffs up. It doesn't say knowledge puffs up if you're a person tend towards pride. It doesn't say knowledge puffs up if you're exceptionally nasty. Uh, it says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Not knowledge, just pursuing knowledge for the sake of that, you're, you're going to, ha- and, I'm, and the Bible is not telling us here, don't pursue knowledge. It's saying, be aware of the fact that as you pursue knowledge, you're going to be tempted to be more prideful. It's going to need to be offset with an equal amount of growing in the understanding of God's love. Because that's going to cause you to, instead of be getting puffed up in your own estimation, it's going to cause you to desire to use the knowledge that you're getting to build others up. Praise God. We don't have to get caught in that trap. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say to me, I need, I need more vision or, or direction for my life or ministry. They feel like they're spinning their wheels. They're frustrated. I'm not sure what to do next. Can I, can I just lay something out to you, something, something that will always work whenever you feel like that? There's always somewhere to run when you're feeling like you're not sure what to do, you're lost, you're walking in circles. Or, or, and this is, this is not just something to do in the meantime. This is, this is the way to get out of those tall weeds of feeling that kind of confusion and frustration. If you keep loving Jesus and you put every sin to death that love wouldn't allow, if you keep thinking about the love of Christ and seeking to live it out more vibrantly, you will never waste your time. You will never waste your time, and you can never go wrong, ever, by focusing your effort and attention on loving more like Jesus. I mean, does it mean anything to you that I just told you there's something you can do and never be wrong? There's not many things in life that's like that, right? You'll never be wrong, Christian. You will never be wrong, Christ follower, by focusing more of your attention and affection and effort on the love of God, on not only contemplating it, not only understanding it, but then living it out. And this is apparently, according to Paul's prayer, a required element of us growing in this power, because really the prayer is about power, is it not? It started with, I'm praying that you are strengthened in the power of God through the Spirit. The prayer ends with that you are filled up to all the fullness of God. The prayer is about power. 
The prayer is about this pastor wanting to see the people that he taught about Jesus, that he loves, to walk in a greater degree of power that is available to them because of Christ. To not see them beat down and downtrodden, and man, I can join him in that sentiment. Dear friends, I desire to see you walk in the power that God has set aside for you, but what I'm telling you is we're never going to get there unless we walk through the door of love. None of that power will matter, nor will God trust us with it, if we don't have love to understand how to wield it and what to do with it. Amen. That leads us to verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, this, this is him ending. This is an exaltation towards God. He says, when he says uh, to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, there's commentators that point out the fact that this is, this is almost like nonsense in the Greek. When he says far more abundantly beyond, it's almost like he's like, okay, I could say abundantly or I could say beyond. And he's like, he just smashes words together to try to get you to understand. Okay, here's all these other words that would express what I'm saying, but this is way bigger than that. I mean, it even kind of sounds funny in English, doesn't it? Far more abundantly beyond. Some translations will say immeasurably more. I think that's a good, it captures what he's talking about. I mean, that's pretty cool. God can do, God can do immeasurably more than you can ask or think, right? So here's how far your imagination can stretch, okay, of things you could ask God for, of, of you imagining the church functioning in the power of God, walking in the love of God, seeing us do exactly what it is God saved us to do. Your imagination stretches to that. We're praying for that. Here's what the Bible says. If we can get here, God can do immeasurably more than that. So it doesn't matter how tall I could get. I, I couldn't put a cap on it. Immeasure, the, the distance between what God can do and what we can imagine can't be measured. What? That's awesome. I meant to use that word. That's awesome. <laughs> Praise God. How does he end? To the God that can do that, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Part of what Ephesians should cause us to do, friends, is to really check our attitudes about the church because there's a lot of toxic, dysfunctional, wrong thinking about the church. It stems from the fact that there are many who have claimed to be of the church of Christ who have uh, been charlatans, they've been fakes. There is a lot who have claimed to be the Church of Christ who have not walked in unity, and uh, you couldn't find any love in there with a search warrant. I understand that, but that doesn't mean that what God has said is possible and is is His will is is not uh, able to be found and able to be walked out. And so, we here at Love City Church have room to grow in all of what we've talked about today. And here's the thing. From here until the time when Jesus returns, if Love City Church exists, we will have room to grow in these things. The point is that we read this and we let it spur us. We let it ignite something in us, a desire to, for each one of us to move along the spectrum of these things, to grow in this power, to be more of this, this fullness of God, to have more of that, to, to be strengthened in the power that comes through God's Spirit and all that being guided by the beautiful royal law of love. And if, if all of us together are moving forward, if we're growing, if we're 
if we're actively participating in this process of sanctification and we're growing in this together, then we're going to be able to see it. We're going to be encouraged by it. And the more we see it and the more we're encouraged by it, we're just going to keep going. And then others in the outside, people that have yet to understand why Jesus is worth serving, they're going to see that and they're going to be drawn to it. Like, like somebody drawn to a lighthouse in the middle of a storm out at sea, man. They're out there. They're, they're being tossed in those waves and, and, and it feels hopeless. But the church is supposed to be the light of the world. This world that is struggling in darkness and does not know there's hope in Christ. They're supposed to be able to look to the church and be drawn to her because of the way we love one another. And so I say, friends, let's stand up and let's raise up to that call. Let's walk in a manner worthy of the name of Christ. Let's love and let's walk in this power that he has designated for us, set aside for us, and desires for us. In the name of Jesus, may it be so. Amen. And maybe, maybe all the picture that, that I'm painting here, it seems impossible to you. Maybe it's like, man, you're, you're asking too much. And I would, I would agree with you. I would agree with you that what I'm talking about is crazy talk. But for him. It is totally nonsensical what I'm saying, except for Christ. Let me just read this to you one more time. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. According to the power that works within us, in him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May we be a people who are filled up with all the fullness of God and walking in the power of God. And may all of this be motivated and shaped by the love of God for our good and his glory. Amen. Now, I want, I want to do something different. Normally, right now, I would just pray a general prayer where I'm thanking God for what we've gone through. Uh, all week, the Lord has troubled my spirit about being specific in this, and I want us, I don't want to just pray this at you. I want us to pray together the very prayer that Paul wrote here, and I want us to join our faith together, and, and really, we, let's ask God for this together. And so, just to make sure everybody's engaged, I want you to stand with me as we pray this prayer. So I make sure I got your attention, you didn't fall asleep on me. If you're close to somebody that uh, you can grab hands with and we can join in faith, let's do that. Don't be weird about it. And we're going to pray this prayer together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it a verse at a time and I want you guys to say it after me, okay? I don't just want to, I'm not just praying this over you. We are praying this together. Every single person right now that cares about this, we are joining our faith together. The Bible says if we, if we get together praying, asking anything according to his will, we'll have it. Okay, so this is the very word of God. We're praying back to God. Do we have any question right now if this is the will of God? Is anybody confused about that? This is the will of God for us, okay? So this is a very safe prayer for us to be praying. Amen? Okay, so let's pray this together. Father God, we've prayed this prayer in faith. And God, we're believing that because we've asked for this, that things are really going to change. God, we're believing that as we increase in the power that you supply, God, that we are going to be more effective as missionaries in this world that needs to know there's hope in your gospel. God, we are believing. We, we right now, we believe that as we are overtaken more and more by your love, 
that it's going to change not only the relations in our own life, not only our marriages and our relationships with our kids or, or the, our friends or the places where we have tension points, not only are those things going to be better because we're being overtaken by your love, but God, the strangers, the enemies, the people that make life hard for us, God, we are expecting change because we've, we've asked according to your will. God, I ask that we would not just pray this prayer once, but we would join Paul. God, I ask that our hearts would be stirred, that our mind's eye, that we would stretch with our imagination to have a vision to see your church the way you see it, to see the potential. God, I know in so many ways we have been a sleeping giant. In so many ways we have left power that you provide untapped and unused. God, we don't want power for power's sake. We don't want to walk in power for no reason. We know that it must be guided by, it must be motivated by love. Lord, I ask that you would just bring all these things together, that they would coalesce in such a way that we can walk out effectively and faithfully the reason for which you saved us. God, we want to be the church you've called us to be. We want to fulfill your vision for what your bride is supposed to be accomplishing in this time. Lord, we can't do it without you. To you, oh God, that's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think, to you be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.